0: Would you take your copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of Hebrews tonight and get chapter 4 opened up in front of you, Hebrews chapter 4. I uh, think that I got around to say hello to uh, all of you, almost, I see a couple of folks that maybe I didn't get a chance to say howdy to, but I, I, uh, I am so grateful that you've come to be with us tonight, and I, I really mean that sincerely. Uh, I, am, I never take for granted folks who would come, and uh, Brother Rick greeted me tonight, and he says, I drove 400 miles to hear you preach, and then I, then I got his name, and I remembered he lives around here. He's, he's, someone told me he's been out of town, and so I said, no, you didn't drive 400 miles to hear me, but uh, some of you have driven a good distance, I know. Some of you may be from uh, Yearington and uh, from uh, Fallon and then from uh, Reno and then those who live here locally. I I, I thank you for all the effort that uh, you put forth to be here. I really do. You know, the subject of revival is something that um, I, I, I can tell you honestly, God began to stir in my heart. And I mean this when I was a little boy. Uh, one of the highlights for me as a boy growing up were the special meetings that were called revivals we had in our church. It always felt like the Lord did something extra special in my own heart during those revival meetings. And I, I, little did I know what God was getting me ready for in my future years. But the truth is, He was getting me ready for this. The subject of revival is something that has always burned in my heart. I was a youth pastor for 20 years, basically 20 years. And as a youth pastor, I, uh, I was constantly emphasizing the subject matter of revival to those young people. And then it dawned on me one day what I was emphasizing to them, everybody was in need of revival. Then I got to thinking, you know, the Bible, the Lord is constantly speaking to us in His Word about the matter of revival. It really is throughout the Scriptures, though at first glance, maybe, maybe I see it quickly and readily and others may not, but the truth is, it is clearly there, and it's here in the book of Hebrews. Look. If a a man steps out to his truck, to his vehicle, and he cranks it up and all of a sudden he begins to hear something missing or he's hearing some noise that's irregular. Uh, Some of you are so mechanically minded, you pop the hood and you know, you know, jiggle this and get this and get the defibrillator out and get it, get it going again. And and all of a sudden you hear it humming just, just right. And uh, something was amiss and you wanted it to fire on all cylinders. Ladies, you walk through your house and you see clutter that, that your husband never sees. in fact he you think he could live in a barn, and maybe he could. I don't know, but you you walk around and you see socks and and uh, papers and shoes and children, and you just see all kinds of things that are out of place and you uh, and you and you constantly are getting the garbage and stuff out of the way and getting the clutter out of the way because you want the house to be. In order we go to uh, we go to an eye doctor and uh, what the optometrist or ophthalmologist and and we say uh, I these don't work like they used to you know he says it's not them it's those and so he works with it and he adjusts uh, the lenses so that you can see better okay whether it be an engine running better a house looking cleaner an eyesight being improved Everything kind of gets out of focus and gets, here's an old Greek word, cattywampus. Uh, Everything kind of gets out of place and out of order. And a revival meeting is, you don't ever leave one of my services and go, wow, I never heard that before. No, sure you've heard it before. The truth is, it's just getting clutter out of the way. It's getting things somehow or another cleaned up. And sometimes we just get comfortable. And as I preached last night, we kind of get so familiar with Jesus that we lose the awe of who He is. Well, that was last night's. We come to the book of Hebrews, and it's pretty obvious who this book was written to. Hebrews. The Jews. You know, and again, first blush, you may think, does it really apply to me? Well, of course it applies to you. In fact, the truth is, many of the folks who would read what was going to be written, and we don't know who the author was. Many people dogmatically say it was Paul, and others dogmatically say we don't know that it was Paul. We don't. We'll find out in heaven. That's one of those unanswered things. Many of the people who would receive this letter would certainly be Jews, but some some of them would be Gentiles, some of the nations. And the point is, this particular (coughs) epistle deals with something that is corrective in nature and encouraging in nature. And as a preacher, I am—I spend almost every day of my life, especially when it's a day that I'm going to go preach, which is almost every day, I find myself saying, Lord, what is it that your people need? What is it that I need to proclaim? Because I don't, I'm just the conduit. I'm just the, the, the instrument that I want to just say what the Lord wants me to say. And so tonight, this is the message that he's laid on my heart to present to us. And I hope it will be encouraging. I hope it will be instructive. And I hope it will be something that will be timely in all of our lives. There was, there was some confusion among Jewish converts. There was some confusion among some of the early believers that had created the need for this letter. And I'm explaining this foundationally, fundamentally, so that we can build upon it by what we read here in a moment. There was some confusion as to did something needed to be added to salvation? Was there something that needed to be added to Jesus? And there was, there was even a sect of a grouping of people who believe that uh, that uh, the worship of angels needed to needed to take place in order to make you a real spiritual person. These were again Hebrews. These were Jewish people who had come out of the giving of the sacrifice, the the, the Mosaic Law, the sacrifices that were given in the temple, and and th- there was this confusion as to is the new covenant, this this new teaching. Of accepting Jesus Christ alone, is He sufficient, or should we also continue to do what we've always done, and that is to maintain the temple worship of the sacrificial system and add? Are they all together needed for our redemption and a re- relationship with God? Now, don't lose me. This is all foundational. So the writer of this letter says to these people that he's writing to: Jesus is all you need. And he is better than anything and everything that may come across your your mind or in your ears of teaching. In the early part of the book of Hebrews, he says that Jesus is better than all the Old Testament prophets. Now listen, that was saying something. He was better than all the Old Testament prophets. And they admired, and we do to this day admire the writings and the teachings the speaking of the Old Testament prophets. And he says, Jesus is better than all them. And he says, He is better than all of the angels. You read all this in chapter 1. And in chapter uh, 3, he goes on to say, and Jesus is better than Moses. Oh, everybody respected Moses. If there had been a Mount Rushmore of the Jewish leaders, Moses would have been right up there, right up front, you know. They said, Jesus is better than Moses, the lawgiver. And then we come to chapter 4, and he declares that Jesus is better than Aaron, the high priest. Now, I've got you in chapter 4, but I I really need you to look back with me in chapter 2 real briefly, and then we'll we'll see our text for tonight. In chapter 2, look back at verse 14. He says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same. In other words, he became a human. That through death, he might destroy him <coughs> that had the power of death, that is the devil, name into that, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. In other words, those of us who have been bond, in bondage to sin. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He was a Jew. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or comfort them that are tempted. Now chapter 4, he picks up that subject matter again. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great... High priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus. And it's as if he was thinking, if you have any questions about this, let me tell you who Jesus, that Jesus was his personal name. That was his earthly name. He is the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched "...with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Stories told, and I did try to do some research on it uh, a little bit yesterday... That a man uh, was on board a ship, a ship that was wrecked at sea as it was approaching a particular harbor. But it was uh, the 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 tumultuous winds and the uh, the tide as it was going about. This particular ship was wrecked, and uh, most everybody was uh, was uh, was lost in, at sea, except one man was able to uh, grab a, a piece of, uh, of wreckage and made his way over to some of the rocky shore, though the rocks were some far out away from the shoreline. He tried to swim his way to the shore, but it was too far away. And on top of that, the tide kept pulling him out to where he was absolutely exhausted from the effort. He could not get to shore. To where he came back to a rock, and he just simply clung to the rock. It was big enough to, to hold him there, and the water and the waves would come knocking him around. The tide kept falling around him as he clung to that rock, and he just held on for hours, for many, many hours. It got dark. It was lonely. It was scary. It was uh, it was cold, and finally a rescue. Uh, boat made its way out to see if there was anyone that was still alive out in the waters. And they came across this man clinging. To this rock, and they got him, and they, he basically passed out and fainted once they got him on board, and they, they warmed him up with a blanket, and they got him uh, comforted as best, as, best, as best they could, and when he came to, they gave him uh, as much uh, hydration, some water, and they gave him food, they kept him warm, and they comforted him as they brought him to shore, and somebody said to him, they said, sir, what was it like out there? You were out there for hours. He said, "You were you, were you scared? Did you feel forsaken? Did you were you hungry? Were you thirsty? Were you uh did you did you feel as if no one was ever going to come get you? Did you feel like it was all over? And he answered, "Yes. Yes. Yes. Yes, and yes." But the rock never moved. Do you ever feel lonely? Do you ever feel anxious, worried, fretful? Do you ever feel like no one understands what you are going through? Do you ever feel like, you know, something? I just think God has maybe turned His eyes away from me and He's just letting me uh, feel the tide of waters of, of temptation and the waters and the burdens of life and the stress of finances and the stress of of, of relationships and the stress of my job. And He's just letting me go through all these things. And I, I, I don't know how I can handle the pain of everything I'm going through. I've got news for you. The Scriptures tell us over and over and over again, and especially where we are, tonight that there is a rock that never moves and that rock is the great and merciful and faithful high priest and I for one have meditated in this past year of my journey in the book of Hebrews frequently and I I didn't rush through it as I read through and meditated through this book and I just clung to certain portions of the book. And I'm gonna tell you, when I came to this particular section, God did a work in my heart that it's been—it's been an anchor in my heart. The first Sunday, uh, when I walked in the door and I saw all these emphasis upon anchor, and I found out this was the theme for your church for right now, I thought to myself, "Well, I know an anchor passage that I've clung to, and that's right here in Hebrews chapter four. The writer of Hebrews was trying to tell its readers, his readers, that." Jesus is better than all the other things that you may depend upon. All the other voices that may come into your realm. And all the other teachings that may have invaded your thinking. He says, Jesus is better than everything that may come across your pathway. In the Old Testament, there was the prophet. He was the one who declared the Word of God. You know that. He was the one who declared the Word of God. There was the priest. He was the one who represented the people to God. In other words, he brought the people to God, and he brought God to the people. He was the go-between. He was the priest. He was very important in the Jewish nation. And then there was the king. There were the kings. And if they were the good king, uh, he was the one who carried out the plan of God. So did you get that? You have the prophet who proclaimed the word of God. You had the priest who represented the people to God. You had the good king who was to carry out the plan of God. You know who Jesus was? All three. He was prophet, priest, and king. He carried it all out. You know, in the book of Job in chapter 9 in verse 32, the Bible says that Job cried out one day. He said, "Only if only I had a daysman" a mediator. You know what he was asking for? He was asking for someone to help him get in touch with God. He felt so distant from God. Well, he had someone in Jesus Christ. He said it later on, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now stay with me. It was Paul who said to Timothy, he said in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, we have one mediator between, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So what's the point? The point is, let me just simply ask you this. Do you struggle tonight with some anxieties? You say, well, no, really, no, I I really don't. Well, then just live another day. You wake up another day. There'll be something greeting you soon. Just living life, there are anxieties. There are frustrations. There are fears. There are things that cause guilt. Do you live with guilt? Oh, if only I had been a better son. Oh, if only I had been a better daughter. If only I had been a better dad. If only I had been a better mom. If only I had been a better Christian at that job. If only I had been a better student. If only, if only, and you live with a cloud of guilt often hanging over you, and the devil takes advantage of that and whispers in our ears and tells us that we're losers. God doesn't love you as much as He loves somebody else. And here the writer of Hebrews comes along and he says what he says. Look again at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our profession. You know what I see there? Number one, we have security. Now, folks, I'm not just trying to be uh, someone who's just going to give you an outline. That's exactly what this point is telling us. We have the rock, the security. I want to draw several things out of this one verse, and then we'll move on. Notice it says, We have a great high priest. Listen. The high priest in the Old Testament genre of time, the, the high priest was extremely, was he was extremely important to the Jews. He represented the nation to God. Once a year, this is important, once a year, uh, the Day of Atonement, he would go into the, the, the holy, the holiest place, the holy of holies. If you've ever studied the tabernacle, you have the court. You have the holy place, then you have the holiest place, the Holy of Holies. And it was in there that the, that the mercy seat, the, the Ark of the Covenant sat. And you couldn't just go in there. I mean, it, uh, uh, the high priest could only go in once a year, and they would tie a rope around his ankle, and there would be bells that would be dangling from his from his robe. And because if he did not go in there with a clean heart and with a clean life, and with a body and a mind and a life that was prepared to, to represent the people of God uh, to God uh, if he would if he conked out if if people didn't hear those bells ringing anymore they would have to pull him out we never hear of any time of that ever happening i guess not I think if a man knew that he had that major responsibility, he'd make sure that everything was right before walking in. And don't you know that once he sprinkled the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the, on the Holy of Holies and into the Holy of Holies and onto the mercy seat, he would get out of there probably as fast as he could, or really, when the task was over with. And when he'd come out, he'd probably say, It's finished! Our sins have been paid for. It was all illustrative. It was all representative of the supreme sacrifice that the Lamb of God would make later on when He would would come onto the cross of Calvary and would be sacrificed as the Lamb. And He too said, it's finished. And sin was paid for. But you know what? Jesus didn't rush out. The Bible says here that He passed through the heavens. Later on in the book of Hebrews, you know what it says? He sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because He's the Son of God. And He finished what He had come to do. All this is foundational. I'm trying to get you to something. When Jesus paid what you and I could not have paid, He brought to us security. And notice what the writer says at the end of verse 14. He says because we have a great high priest let us hold fast our profession. What does that mean? He says there the idea there is that we 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 be secure that we we be we do not drift away. We do not fall away. We stand firm with what we believe. What is our profession? Our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. When the truth is, when a person accepts Christ as Savior, there needs to be a confidence in that calling out to Him to be your personal Savior, and then you stand firm. In other words, you don't drift back into the world. You stand firm upon that conviction that I am a follower of Christ and that I want Christ to be seen in me. But notice the one word that says great. Great. You never see that about any other high priest. He was the great high priest. All that means, friends, is simply this: He is far superior than all other high priests. Those that had been that were still active and those that were retired, he was great. You say, what's the point? All right? In Mark, the Bible says there arose a great storm of wind. I mean hurricane like force winds. It was a great wind. Then Jesus spoke. And the Bible says in Mark 4 and verse 39, and there was a great calm Bible says that when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life after she had died, He, he resurrected her uh, from being dead. They, this, the Bible says in Mark 5 and verse 42, they were astonished with great amazement. Okay, all I'm trying to say is this. You and I use the word great, and it's kind of lost its force. We say things like, hey, great to see you, whether we mean it or not. You know, we just say, hey, yeah, yeah, great. Or we use it sarcastically, great. Or we say, uh, someone says, hey, they got got something here on the menu tonight. Oh, that's great. It's like we don't really mean it. No, when the Bible says he was great, what that simply means is he brings security. Now let me come up close to you and you come up close to the Scriptures. Let's take a look at this. What the Bible is trying to say is simply this. You don't have to live with insecurity. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I live with insecurity frequently. You know, it's easy to be fearful about what uh what am I supposed to do and and I wonder what this person thinks and I wonder if this is going to work out right, you know. Uh, over the Christmas break, we uh uh, we uh, Christmas break. During the Christmas holidays, we had, uh, I mentioned last night, we had uh, our two sons and their grandkids come to visit us. Well, one of the adventures we took them out on was we took them ice skating. Have you ever gone ice skating? Uh, have you ever gone, you know, uh, most of the time it's people like, that go ice skating. It's more like this the whole time they're out there on the ice, you know? Unless you're real familiar with it, it's just like this. And then and then some people literally would just cling to the wall and they just kind of go down across the wall around the whole rink just like this. And I'm thinking, you paid money just to go around and like that, you know? There is total insecurity on that ice. Well, I don't know about you, but ice makes me nervous, especially on the roads. I mean, I, you go slipping and sliding. I have fallen in the ice. I've had a wreck in the ice. I don't like icy roads. The point is, it makes you insecure, and there's a lot of things on in our day-to-day life that makes us insecure, causing us to live with a sense of turbulence and fear in our life. You ever been on a plane, and then the uh, the, the pilot uh, comes over the speaker, and he says, I'm going to ask that everybody please tighten up your seatbelt we ask that the uh, flight attendants go ahead and quickly get a seat. Stop serving. Uh, go ahead and get a seat and get put on your seatbelt. Uh, in the next few minutes, we're going to be hitting some turbulence. You ever heard that? You know, I want to ring the bell and say, if you know it's coming, can't you fly around the turbulence? I mean, I mean, you know, it's like it's like we well, you know it's coming and here we go. Well, avoid it if you know it's coming. I mean, give me a break, would you? I mean, I mean, we're bouncing around and dropping and everything. You know, something. Uh, there's, there's, uh, th- that's going to come in flying. I got better, new- I got more important news for us to understand tonight. There's going to be turbulence up ahead for you. You know that. You say, Morris, I don't want to think on that. Well, listen, you know it's true. And we live our life with a state of fearfulness. And you just need to listen, listen to how you respond to turbulence in your life. Listen to yourself. Do you find yourself secure that even in the midst of the turbulence and the disturbances of life, do you find yourself saying anything along the line of God is in charge of this? And I know that. And all of these difficulties I'm going through, I'm not going to fret about it. Chris, put up Psalm 3 for us tonight. I want you to listen to Psalm 3 tonight. Listen to these verses. Listen to the psalmist when he said this in Psalm 3. He said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Notice he didn't cry unto somebody else. He cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse uh, uh, 22. It says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations, by the way, that refers to Gentiles who are unbelievers, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. You know, friends, you don't have to understand why things are going the way they do. Listen to me. Most of us only find our hope when we when we can figure out Why is this happening to me? Listen, hope is not based upon understanding why this is happening. Hope is based upon my God is my great high priest and I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. I don't have to say, what am I going to do? Or what are we going to do? And I don't understand why. And what if I lose my job? And what if my husband dies before I do, some lady says? Or, or what if we don't have enough retirement? And what if the car doesn't start? Or what if the dog runs away? Or even what if the cat comes back? I mean, it could just not be any worse. I, forgive me. I, the, the point is there is an insecurity in most of our lives that causes us to live our life in a turbulent way? And Jesus looks at us and he says, Why are you so fearful? I have paid for your sin, and I have paid the, the penalty that for your for your sinful behavior and your sin your your, your sin on the cross of Calvary, and I've passed into the heavens, and I sat down at the great uh, right hand of God, and he says, So hold firm your confession of faith in me. You have security. But notice in verse 15, you have sympathy. Now let me say this before I pass on. I've probably said this before. I I used to sit on the floor as a boy and I'd usually be playing with my baseball cards. I loved to collect baseball cards when I was a kid. Did you collect those? And I had a sister who got in a cleaning house mode one day and haven't talked to my sister in 83 years. No, I yeah. <laughs> threw them away. Those cards that are of great value probably. I was playing with my baseball cards and I looked up at my mom who was sitting in her chair or in a chair and she was messing with some kind of needle craft of some sort. I don't know what it was. And from my angle, looking up at that needle craft, I saw nothing but a bunch of threads hanging down underneath this piece of cloth that she was working on. And I just, as a loving boy, I said, that sure is ugly, mom. You know, I said, that doesn't look very nice. And she she didn't miss a beat. She said, well, you don't, you don't know what I'm doing. And I said, well, it sure looks bad. It doesn't look very pretty down here. And she said, well, why don't you stand up? And come over here next to me and I'd stand up and come over next to her and then I'd look down and I'd see this beautiful picture on that cloth that she was working I'd see a rainbow or I'd see a river I'd see a brook and it'd be a, a beautiful mountain or something that she was designing now from my vantage point it looked like a mess but from what she was designing it was so beautiful sometimes I've looked up and I've said God I don't know what you're doing it's a mess I don't understand this And he says, why don't you get a little closer to me? I'm doing something you can't see right now. I'm orchestrating something. Are you going through some trial like that right now? You said, no, really not. Well, just wait. Just wait. And when you do, you remember he is our security. Would you notice, please, now in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, all points, tested, tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Friends, th- there's a double negative for emphasis at the beginning of this verse. For we have not, and high priest which cannot... It's it's an underscoring by the writer. It is a, a it's a way of emphasis in the way in which it was written to say, I am trying to underscore this, I'm trying to highlight this, I'm trying to get this point across. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched. What's the word touched? Well, I don't, I'm I'm not a Greek scholar, but the the Greek word that was used there is the word, I think you may hear something there. It's the word sympatheo. It's the word that we get, our English word, sympathy or sympathetic. Not only do we have His security, you know what the Bible is saying here? Jesus is sympathetic. He knows what you're going through. He orchestrated it. He ordered it. He knows the pain. He knows the heartache. He knows the the, the trial that you may be going through. And the point is, as we go through the hardships of life, we have His sympathy. Jesus knows. He understands And He sympathizes with us. You know, it just helps to know somebody understands. It always helps when you talk to a friend, when you talk to someone at church, when you talk to your pastor or his wife. It always helps just to know that somebody understands what you're going through. This last year, I repeat, forgive me, I'm I'm still too close to this previous year. I imagine there will be a day when I won't talk so much about uh, what uh, we went through this last year of cancer. But... Uh, there, was, uh, there were constant letters, there were constant emails, I should say, and text messages and phone calls that I received over this year. And I'm going to tell you something, I, I, I relished every one of them. I, I, I hung on to the words of those who cared and those who were kind. They'd send us cards in the mail. I have a box at home that is filled with cards of friends who said they're praying and they care and they were loving us during during this whole time of this past year. But you know who really helped? Anybody who had ever gone through cancer. When they called, when they spoke, for somehow or another, I didn't ask for it. There was just an added strength to their words. They understood And there was a man who attended the church there where we live in Dallas who had also suffered with multiple myeloma. And while I was in the hospital, I sent him a text or an email, I forget, and he wrote back some words that I clung to. He actually said, Morris, based on what you're telling me, he said, I think you may may have gotten past the worst of it. He says, I can remember when I went through it. He goes, what you're telling me, I think you've gotten through the worst of it. I clung to those words. Actually, the next two or three days, I was super sick. But I kept hanging on to this man who'd gone through it before. Why? It just helps to know somebody who knows what you're going through. Do you see that's what the Bible says? Jesus knows. You say, oh, you don't. nobody knows the pain. Yeah, he does. You say, I I feel like my family has forsaken me. He understands that. He was forsaken. You say, well, the aches and the pains and the physical torment. Yeah, he understands. You say, but the, the stress that I'm under. Yeah, go back and read about the Garden of Gethsemane and hear his stress when he was bent over and burdened with the load of becoming sin for us. He knows. He understands And He cares. The songwriter wrote the words, God understands your sorrow. He sees the falling tear. And He whispers, I am with thee. Then falter not, nor fear. He understands your longing. Your deepest grief He shares. Then let Him bear your burden. He understands and cares. You know, when I was in school, I don't know why they made us study Greek mythology. Did you ever have to study that? We had to study Greek mythology, and I guess there was some purpose behind it. I don't know, but I remember when we were studying it in that school that I attended, I kept thinking this is weird. Now, these these gods—Zeus and Mercury and Neptune and Venus—and I mean all these gods, you know. And I, I discovered every one of them were mean. Uh, they they just none of them were kind. They and I began and finally one day the teacher said uh, they were known as the great. Unmoved ones. In other words, they were unmoved by the needs of humanity. They were the gods. And they, they despised having to come and even recognize some human that might have a need. They were the great unmoved ones. But not Jesus. He was moved with compassion. I say again tonight. Whatever it may be that you have gone through or are going through, He sympathizes. Now I said all that we've said tonight to get to what I really want to get to. You say, well, you sure took a long time to get there. All right, look at verse 16. This is the verse that you can anchor your soul on right here. It says in verse 16, Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Back in verse 14, we were told to hold fast. That is to stand firm. Don't drift away. Verse 16, we're told to draw near. Come up close. Come here to me. Jesus says, let, you, let us therefore come boldly. Who is us? The us there are, are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Is that you? That is, you have put your complete confidence and trust in Jesus and in Him alone. Let us, therefore, do what? Come. The word come is written in a continuous and a repeated action. It's not just one time or just an occasional time. You just keep on coming. There are times in my life, and you probably have felt the same thing, that I think God's probably run out of mercy for me. I mean, when I was a young Christian, I I could ask Him for help and forgiveness, and it was available. You know, it was available because I was a little kid and I didn't know any better and so forth. I became a teenager and I was stumbling around trying to, uh, you know, relearn how to walk and things like that as a teenager. And, uh, you know, and I got mercy and I made some some dumb decisions. But I, I got his forgiveness. I got his mercy. But, you know, after a while you become an adult and after a while you keep asking for forgiveness. Surely at some point God says, you know something, Glycer, that's enough. I've just about had enough of you. And that you tend to think that way because if we were God, we would. He said, "You know, that's enough. I'm just sick and tired of this." The Bible says, Jesus says, "Because He is our secure High Priest, and because He sympathizes, He knows the temptations and the trials and the testing that you've gone through. Come, how boldly!" And it is the idea there. The idea is to come with confidence, with unhesitating confidence, to come boldly to Him, to come honestly to what His throne. The throne of authority, the throne of grace, that is that is undeserved favor. Look, there are some of us that are old enough to remember that if you needed to go get cash from the bank, you had to go inside. And you had to fill out this withdrawal slip. Uh, some of the young ones in here, you're thinking, wow... You're a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, I'm real, real old. And you had felt this withdrawal slip or write a check or whatever, and you walked up and stood in line, and you had to go up to a lady behind, a teller behind the a counter or a man, and you gave them that withdrawal slip, and they gave you the cash that you asked for out of your account. And if it was after hours, you just had to wait till it was open again. And then somebody invented a machine. And I would tell you honestly in the 1980s when I was first rec- when I was first introduced to an ATM it scared me. In fact there was a man on our church staff where I worked he 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 said, oh man, that's, that's not a good thing. That's a bad machine. You know, it's it's probably the mark of the beast. I mean, it's just, uh, it's not a good thing. We ought to avoid those things and boy, they're going to be, you know, I got over that after a while and I I found out that no matter when the bank was open I could walk up that thing and stick my card in there. As long as I had cash in there or some kind of a protection on my account of some sort, I could get cash at midnight if I wanted to. I could get it anytime I wanted to, anytime, anywhere. I could find a, a a teller machine, an ATM machine. I could just go get it anywhere at any time. Why? Because it was available. You know, forgive the, the, it breaks down a little bit. You know what the Bible is saying? Come anytime. Jesus says, come anytime. Come all the time. Come to me. Come up close to me. You ever said to a little child, that uh, a mother knows this feeling, when a child skins their knee or falls and hurts himself, come, come here, come here. That's exactly what your Lord is saying. Do you pray like that? Do you pray with that kind of confidence? I'm not making this up. I'm just the delivery boy. I'm just telling you what the passage said. And tonight as I prayed over this, I thought, Lord, this is just going to be a whole lot of just taking words and explaining them to him. I hope people will grab the truth. Let me ask you something. Does this, does this describe the way in which we pray? Do we pray boldly? What it, it says to come boldly. What does that mean? Come with a request and come with a burden on your heart that just I mean you almost you almost feel like saying, Lord, this this would be incredible if you answered this. Sometimes we're scared to pray like that. And he tells us to come. Just come up, come, come up close. Hold firm, don't drift away, and come up close. The first part of the verse tells us what we are to do. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. The last half of the verse tells us what God can do, and will do, to help in time of need. What does that mean? It means when is He available? When is God available in time of need? He's always available. He is. Uh, he, when you think He isn't listening, He is. When you think He's distant, He's close. When you think he doesn't care, he does. When you think he's late, he isn't. There are three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who told the king, we're not bowing down to your idol. Our God can deliver us. We know He can. But if not, we're still not going to bow down to your idol." And I imagine old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being all tied up as they were, were carried over to that big fiery furnace and about to be dropped in. And they probably were thinking, you know, we were asking for deliverance, but I guess maybe not. No, it's just not time yet. Shad, me, Abed, just wait. And they fell into that old fiery furnace and they said, the king said, there's a fourth person in there. Jesus showed up right on time. Martha and Mary came to Jesus and said, you know, if you'd been here four days ago, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. You know, we were waiting on you. We sure were, but you, you kind of let us down. Jesus said, I'm right on time. Lazarus, come forth. He was right on time. And whatever burden you may be carrying tonight, he's on time. He hasn't forgotten your burden. He hasn't forgotten your family concern. So be bold in your prayer life. How bold are you? You say, what do you mean? How specifically bold are you? Do you just pray in general terms? Are you just kind of mechanical with your words when you pray? You just say kind of the same old things all the time. You could almost record the words and just play the words back over again every day because you've lost that confidence of coming boldly. We only come boldly when we're in desperate need of something. He says to come to Him all the time, any time. With that kind of a bold prayer life, do you come boldly? How faithful, how fervent is your prayer life? And how long has it been since you've seen God do a mighty work? You say, that's being presumptuous. He tells us to come boldly to ask for mercy and grace to help in time of need. I'm just taking him at his word. He said, come with a spirit of expectancy and come with an enlarged prayer life and ask for me to do that which only I can do. Come boldly. How long has it been since we've seen God do a work that took our breath away to see what He could do? The psalmist said in Psalm 27, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he said, so wait patiently on the Lord and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just keep asking. Come boldly. He's not only our security. He's not only he not only gives us sympathy. He gives us his sanctuary. We come to him and receive his comfort and mercy in time of need. Not only do I talk a little bit about this last year, I talk a lot about grandkids. If you're a your grandparent, you know the feeling. I came home from a meeting a few years back and our three uh, three of our Grandkids were at our house, and uh, they are just about what you'd call perfect. You know, I mean, they just are ideal, as any grandparent feels. And I walked in the door, and the church I had been in had given me some candy. And I had uh, I had some Reese's peanut butter cups, and I had some Snickers, some little little uh, little bars and little cups of peanut butter cup. I went up to my grandson, whose name is Drew, and he is he is one who doesn't want to assume anything that, you know, doesn't want to take anything that doesn't belong to him. He's just, just a great kid. And I said, Drew, I said, I've got some candy. I got some peanut butter cups, Reese's cups, and I got some Snickers. Which one would you rather have? Would you like to have one? And he said, no, Papa. He said, that was for you. He said, that, that doesn't, I don't need And I go, no, Drew, Drew. I said, you you can have one of Papa's candies. Which one do you want? He said, I really like Reese's peanut butter. Cups. I said, here, take that and enjoy that. I looked at his big sister, Karis. I said, Karis. I said, I got Reese's peanut butter cups and I got Snickers. Which would you rather have? She said, I don't like Reese's. I said, do you like Snickers? I do. I said, well, here, take that Snicker. Here you go. Then I looked at our little baby. Uh, She was, I don't know, probably four at the time, five at the most. I don't know, something like that. Her name's Amberly. I said, Amberly. I said, I've got Reese's and I got Snickers. Which would you rather have? She said, both. And she got both. She knew who she was talking to. Why choose one or the other? I want them both. At Christmas, we were remembering that story. And when I did, my son said, you know something? That ought to be the way we pray. We ought to come to God and pray like that. Lord, I don't, I'm not going to come with my little simple little request and say, well, if, if, if I deserve this, can I have this? No, no. We come boldly and say, I, you're my great high priest. You're the one who represents me to God. And I'm asking you, I need your help. Do you need His help tonight? Are you going through a trial tonight? Are you worried about something? Are you, are you wondering about the future? He is your security. He gives you His sympathy. And He gives you a sanctuary. Now listen to me and I'm finished. You can't have His security and His sympathy and His sanctuary if He's not your Savior. Amen. It starts there. You don't know Jesus Christ personally. What I've been talking about tonight is for people who are believers in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I believe in Jesus. The idea there is that you have said, I cannot get into a relationship with God the Father except through a Savior, a rescuer of my soul. Amen. My friend, listen to me. You couldn't, you couldn't get to heaven. You can't get you to God. No way. You need a go between, a mediator, a high priest, if you please, the words given to us tonight, who stands between God and you and brings the two together. And God offers to you His grace. What's that? What you don't deserve, what I don't deserve forgiveness, a pardon. Total cleansing of all your sin. You say, well, I really need to earn that. You don't earn grace or it's no longer grace. It's offered to you and you receive that grace by faith. That is, you take God at His word. He promised to rescue your eternal soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ like that, then why don't you accept Him tonight? Don't let him just be someone that you've heard about. He loves you like no one's ever loved you in your whole life. And even if you've heard this story many, many times, let tonight be the night that you say, Jesus, you want me, I want you. And then, my friend, you'll learn what it is to live with security, with his sympathy, and with the sanctuary of his grace daily and answers to prayer. Let's bow our heads for prayer tonight.